own values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. Should I do it again? Should I make him angry one more time with my commentary on music? Why not, right? Um, absolutely, without a doubt, my least favorite Billy Joel song. Without a doubt. Okay, well, that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Well, it's just because it's so played, so overplayed. And it's just, he's got so many other songs that are so much better. Okay, but this is still a great song. <laughs> well, great's a strong word. No, it's great. Okay. Yeah. It's an average song. How dare you? And if it wasn't Billy Joel singing it, you wouldn't call it a great song. Uh, <laughs> Says the New Yorker defending Billy Joel. I will always defend Billy Joel. <laughs> There's not enough time for me to get in on this. <laughs> of course there is. Uh, I My favorite Billy Joel songs, this is not one of them. Right. It's a good song, though. It's a good song. Don't right. ask me why. Yes. Anything Second off the, wind. Anything off the Glass Houses album. Yeah. Anything off that Glass Glass Houses record is a great song. All right. Uh, enough of the music commentary. We'll get back to the serious business of the U.S. border. Um, the uh, the Yuma Regional Medical Center out about twenty six million dollars. Are they going to recover any of it? But I want to go to someone that's actually been involved in something like this before. The former Adjutant General. Of the Arizona National Guard is General Mick McGuire. Uh, he was he ran for the Senate, uh, but he's just a brilliant guy. I've had the, I've had the privilege of hanging out with him a little bit and and having conversations with him and watching him speak in public. And he's a brilliant guy. But as someone that knows this issue very well, is le- heading up the guard in Arizona. He was on with Arizona's Morning News this morning and was talking about what this troop acquisition, fifteen hundred troops down at the border, will mean. Uh, the job that they're ostensibly tasked to do is really filling a role that, ironically, President Biden canceled uh, with his first executive order. And that's the first thing that happened. And, and this is, uh, again, the politics of it are one thing, and we can get into it, and we will get into it. But will 1,500 people in a, an administrative role free up 1,500 people? And is that 1,500 person increase going to be enough to slow down the increases that we know that are coming? Because it is already at something that is, is treacherous at what's happening at the border. There's no doubt that what we are seeing is treacherous at the border. And what we are going to see in most predictions are a severe increase. There's also a 90 day limit on this. But you also understand, and I don't know the full in and outs of all of this, um, but there are less restrictions on National Guard troops than there are on active duty troops and what they can and can't do at the border. But McGuire is talking about recruits here. They're very unfamiliar with the train. They don't know the local agents and the time it takes for them to get up to speed. By the time they're up to speed, they're turning around and leaving again. It's 90 days. So that's part of it as well. And he addresses the issue. And I found this to be a fascinating part of the interview as General McGuire talked about the cartels. When you give the uh, cartels a beginning and an end date, say you're going to start on May 11th and go for 90 days, they'll just wait for 90 days to to, uh, ramp back up illicit activities. And that's that's an accurate statement. The other part of this is what we are up against here. When you hear, when you talk to people that do this for a living, I, I sat at an event on Saturday, um, and it's always a pleasure to hang out with Sheriff Lamb from Pinal County. Uh, I got to hang out with him and his wife for, at the 100 Club event on, on Saturday night. 
And to just hear someone that's an expert in this area when you t- when the subject comes up, the information that I study to make sure I've got the accurate numbers on what's happening when when there's a crash, when there's uh, you know we just learned from the uh, the patrol, the leader of uh, border patrol, the patrol division for the Yuma sector or the Tucson sector, I'm sorry, of the border, said that there were 500 rescues in a, in a seven-day period, which was a statistic that was new to me. But for them, it's not statistics. For me, I'm trying to convey a problem to you that I'm not facing every day. For people like Sheriff Lamb and people in the Border Patrol, um, CBP agents at the ports of entry, they are someone, they are immersed in it every day. When you have your people, and when you, I talked to the chief from Border Patrol, and I talked with the sheriff from Pinal County, when your people, when you are sending your people in to risk their lives, either to rescue people, to arrest people, to take custody of people, to chase people, it is a daunting task. It is something that weighs on you, especially when you feel like you're not getting help from the people that are charged with fixing the problem in the first place. The cartels have effective control of the border. And the reason why I know that isn't because I heard it on Fox News. It isn't because I heard it from uh, another I'll go with right wing talk radio host because that's what I'm supposed to be. Um, it is because I hear it from the people that are there. It's because the overwhelming number of people that are dealing with things know know that the drugs are coming in because the cartels get smarter and smarter and put more and more drugs that just can't possibly stop everything. If you look, let's just talk about the drugs coming through the ports of entry for just a moment before we talk about this other issue of people coming in. If you've ever seen video of the Nogales port of entry, the El Paso port of entry, if you've ever seen the videos – of how people cross into America and the sheer number of cars they have to get through. So you can't do a full inspection of every vehicle that comes through. The cartels understand that they're going to lose some loads, but they're going to get a lot through. Now when it comes to the people that are crossing outside of the ports of entry, 51,000 I think was the number, 51,000 in the seven-day period were taken into custody, but there were 17,000. It was an approximation by them, not me, an approximation of about 17,000 gotaways, which is the people that escaped from them in a seven-day period, and the expectation is it's only going to get worse when Title 42 expires. 1,500 people. So to the American people, um, I and I, I believe in giving credit where credit's due. The White House is doing something. A, it's too little. But th- if this is all that they are going to do, if this turns into, and I want the, I, I hope the people listening remember this. If this is another moment like we saw with the vice president where she checked the box of saying she went to the border so people would quit asking her. Nothing was accomplished. Nothing was followed up on. Nothing was done. Nothing was improved. She just didn't want to be asked if she was going to the border anymore. So that box was checked. If this is going to be that, then we all should be outraged. And the number $26 million that the uh, Yuma Regional Medical Center is out in a one-year period is something that every American should be furious about, that that small community has to pay such a hefty price. Um, Coming up in just a moment, 
what we're going to do is talk about the Phoenix Fire Department. I talked about this earlier. There was an electric vehicle fire, and the way they put it out was in, got me thinking about the future and how they are going to keep up with something like this happening again. We'll get to it coming up in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, you want an opportunity to score the hottest ticket in town? We have Suns playoff tickets as they take on the Denver Nuggets beginning today. It started in the 7 a.m. 7 a.m. hour. We'll do it again in the 11 a.m. hour on this show. And then in the afternoon in the 4 p.m. hour, we will call out a name, a different name each one of those hours. If it's your name, you have 10 minutes to call in. You get registered to win those tickets to the game. So if you if that person doesn't call in, we open the phone. So make sure you're listening in the 11 a.m. hour. But if you want to have your name registered, text the word Ticket to 411923. That's ticket to 411923. Good luck. Um, Waymo has a fleet of electric vehicles and they have a warehouse. I think it's Central and Buckeye in downtown Phoenix. Uh, 7th Street and Buckeye is where it is. 7th Street and Buckeye. And one of their vehicles inside the warehouse caught on fire, an electric vehicle. Uh, the sprinklers went off, stopped the fire from spreading to other areas. They were able to get the vehicle out. Phoenix Fire showed up. It was about 60 firefighters in the response for a one-car fire. And then it takes forever for those batteries to put out. My introduction to this, I mentioned earlier in the show, was when uh, Hurricane Ian hit Southwest Florida, my hometown, um, there were horrible stories of people whose homes survived the hurricane. The water receded, their homes survived, at least there was damage, but not destruction. And then because of the salt water getting inside the batteries of the electric vehicles, electric vehicles were catching on fire and burning people's houses down. So they put out a warning about not leaving your vehicle there. Uh, they had a couple of vehicles that caught on fire in the streets. They took hours and hours and hours to stop thousands of, and, and at least hundreds, if not thousands of gallons of water was being used to try to douse these fires. So the procedures, just like any other science, like any other um, skill, you have experts at putting out fires and they work on ways to make it easier and better and safer, both chemically and physically for people. And so what they did in this one, which I thought was very fascinating watching it on the news yesterday, um, was they took the vehicle with a forklift and it had been gutted. I mean, it was, it was, I guess, still smoldering, but the flames weren't burning like they were. Uh, the roof was gone, the hood was gone, and they forklifted this car into one of those big industrial dumpsters. And then they covered it with wet sand. And it will stay that way, at least it said in the newscast, for a couple of weeks before they will deem it safe to pull out of there and that the fire had been extinguished. So I started thinking about this uh, in general, but it, it is like anything else. As technology changes, as things change, what does public safety have to do to keep the community safe? The challenges in different areas, you know, in in the in greater Phoenix, you have got to be equipped for mountain rescues. You got to be equipped for mountain rescues in extreme heat, in extreme conditions. A lot of places don't do that. But that's what that's part of what you have to be able to do here. Uh, Water rescues where I grew up are are a lot more um, 
happen a lot more on the beaches of southwest Florida than they do in the lakes here in Arizona, although it does still happen. Um, So what is it about public safety and trying to deal with this issue? But also, also, um, as we sprint towards, and I've talked about this before, I have absolutely no axe to grind against electric vehicles. I don't like the way they're being forced on the American people right now. I don't know that the electric grid is ready for it. And I'm, I, I have questions about how prepared public safety is. Now, you think about a place, and it's diverse, but you think about a place like New York City, where if you live in Manhattan, you can park on the street, but people park in a garage. People pay a lot of money to park their guy in a car in a parking garage. What happens when one of these EVs catches on fire in a parking garage? You, you, let's say it happens to you now. You're flying out of town for a few days. You go to the airport to the East Economy lot. You park your EV where you can there in the parking garage at the East Economy lot. And while you're gone, God forbid something like this happens and there's a fire with your car. How do they put it out? What about the surrounding vehicles? Now you're inside a structure with all of those noxious fumes. How is that to deal with? What, what is the technology? How advanced has, have the fire technologies come? To be prepared for what could happen. We understand, and I, I've been talking about this with police for a long time, and I feel guilty that we haven't talked about it with fire as well. Um, the fire department in Phoenix, and I'm speaking right now specifically of Phoenix, is dramatically understaffed. We don't have enough fire stations or firehouses in our community. Response times are much higher than the fire department is comfortable with. And it isn't because of the abilities of the people that are serving as firefighters or as paramedics. It's not their ability. It's the number of them. It's the equipment that they need. If firehouses, you know, as much as we've expanded this valley, we've got to have more firefighters. We have to have more firehouses. It's not just because when you think about, I want you, there's a fire station on 32nd Street north of Indian School. It's on the east side of the road. Relatively new firehouse. But just in that area, just south of them, there is a huge apartment complex that just went in. Again, at the corner of uh, Camelback and 32nd Street, Another huge apartment complex has gone in. We have seen immense growth. Are we growing the fire department at a rate that's going to keep up with the public safety needs of where we are? And I don't know the answer to that. From, the, from what I'm hearing from the firefighters is we don't have enough people. They need fire equipment. They need fire houses, and they need firefighters, paramedics as well. Public safety officers is what they need, people inside the fire department, support staff and field staff alike. And as voters, I talk about this all the time, we get the cities we deserve. We really do. You can like the people that are working on the city council. You elect people because you like them. But are they doing what's best for the city of Phoenix? And we should be asking those questions. Are they the people that are making sure that we have a fully staffed, fully equipped, fully functioning public safety, whether it's police or fire? This just got me thinking down that road yesterday. When you've got 60 firefighters on a scene of a fire like this, 60, and you're talking hours and hours and hours, and in the end, it's going to be weeks before it's fully finished on this one scene. Are we as prepared as we should be? I hope the answer is yes. I'm going to reach out to Phoenix Fire and ask them. I hope the answer is yes. And if not, I want to know when we will be. It's a great question for everyone who lives within the city of Phoenix. In a moment, we'll go back to it. Can you pass an eighth grade history test? We'll tell you how badly eighth graders are doing on this test next.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I appreciate you spending some time with the show. I want to take a minute to just talk about prioritizing things. I think in, in our lives, as we get older, we are more responsible. At least most of us get to be more responsible. It took me a long time on prioritizing. We prioritize our time. When you have children, how many parents get frustrated that their child says, hey, I've got a project due tomorrow. They're not prioritizing their time the way they should. You know, those kinds of things. On Sunday night, right before bedtime, I've got homework to do. Those are childish mistakes that hopefully we we get our children to, as they get older, prioritize things in their lives. We prioritize a budget. What is their number one responsibility as a government? It is, I think, public safety. We also have a responsibility to our children to make sure that they're educated. And the education system has some responsibilities. And I talk about this prioritization because I would, I, I mean this sincerely. Uh, we, uh, um, anybody who agrees with me, would say that the number one priority of a school district, of a school, is to make sure that children have a basic education, that they can read, that they can perform math skills, that they are learning history, that that is the number one responsibility. There is a movement in this country that has taken a stronghold in many school districts, not all school districts, not all school board members, but in many areas that says their job is to make these children in their minds what is a good citizen, that it is all about some of these political ideologies, tolerance, and all of these other things is their primary responsibility. Um, you know, when the president says, um, you know, parents are not just, you know, it's not just their child. It's all of our children. And those ideologies are conflicting right now at a rate that's much bigger than ever before in my mind. And when we look at our school districts, we have to admit across this country, we're failing in large part. We are failing our children that they cannot read at grade level. Some teachers do not want to have to teach what they're being forced to teach in the curriculum. So making a moral decision, they are leaving the profession. And so hearing that this is just about dollars and just about money is not an accurate picture. It is a much broader picture. There are teachers that leave because of money. There are teachers that don't like the pay scale. Now in Phoenix, the city of Phoenix, they make pretty good money as teachers. They're not the only school district in the state, but they make decent money in the city of Phoenix. Other places need to do a lot of catching up to get teachers where they need to be. Mesa Public Schools is said they are dealing at their school board meetings when the public comment time comes up at the school board meetings. More often than not, they are hearing from people that are saying the problems, behavioral problems in the restrooms on school campuses. That's a big problem. That is a big issue. That there are drugs, drug dealing, drug use, vaping, sexual activity. Going on in the restrooms. As a matter of fact, every kid said they knew which restrooms not to use during lunchtime because of specific bad behaviors that are going on there. So teachers don't want to be around that environment. Kids can't very learn very well in that environment. So I don't know what Mason's gonna, Mesa is going to do about it. The city of Phoenix has a bigger problem than any of you know in the high schools. There are big issues with violence on their campuses, that there are kids, there are students that are carrying guns on campus. At a time that we've heard about school shootings and the gun control crowd out there screaming like they are, the fact that they don't want Want police officers stopping this on campus, that they're not in favor of metal detectors or finding these kids that are bringing guns onto campus and getting rid of these kids is beyond me. 
But it, that's that's where we're at. It's what's happening. But I'm talking about the responsibility of this. It is interesting that if you have a if you've ever owned a business where the public is welcome. If you owned a store, a storefront, where people come into your business, restaurant or otherwise, you have an obligation to keep your customers safe. And if you're negligent, you will be shut down. You are going to be sued. There are, there's going to be a large amount of money that you're going to be paid. Even if you don't believe it was your fault, if somebody does something stupid in your place of business, many times your insurance company is going to be on the hook for making that person whole because you made or left some kind of, even though you didn't realize it, an unsafe environment for someone. If you own a restaurant, how you store your food, where you store your food, how you label your food, the things that you do, you've got to meet some pretty stringent requirements in order to serve food to the general public. And here we don't have any kind of rules on what schools must do to keep kids safe. It isn't just about mass shootings and the things that we hear that make national stories. We, we all know and we know good kids and bad kids. It happened when we were young, just maybe not to this degree. But the idea that there is going to be drug dealing going on in school bathrooms and it's not going to be stopped and reported. And that's the part of this that's frustrating to me. There were stories, and I'm sure they're still out there, that college campuses were downplaying sexual assaults that happened on college campuses because the fear was that parents of incoming students would not send their daughters to a school where there was a high number of sexual assaults believing their daughters would not live in a safe environment. So what they did was they downplayed those and underreported those things happening in order because they didn't want to look unsafe. We all kind of understand the concept. Well, I can tell you that when you there are so many stories of weapons, weapons on school campuses, fights. I've seen videos. I've been I've had videos sent to me of brawls on in the courtyards of Phoenix Union High School campuses, multiple students involved in an all out brawl. Knives, guns, drugs, and again, all of this, uh, when I talk about this, the people that don't like hearing me say it have every opportunity to call me a liar if I'm lying. And, and so that's why I make sure I dot my I's and cross my T's before I speak. Why the local media is not asking the school, especially Phoenix Union High School, doing Freedom of Information Act requests and asking for documentation about violence and weapons on school campus. It doesn't. Why? Why would we wait? God forbid for there to be a shooting on campus. If you've got a 15 year old or a 14 year old with a handgun on campus, don't you think that needs to be something that the families know about? Isn't that something that that child should be held accountable for? It is it is outrageous to me to think that that kid wouldn't be held accountable or that children's parent. If that gun was taken from a locked drawer or from a closet at the home or maybe it is the parent doesn't know the kid has it. Doesn't the parent need to know that that child had a gun? These are all valuable questions, and I think it's questions we need to start asking. We're going to educate our children. We have to keep them and give them a good, safe environment, and I don't know that we're doing that as much as we should be. Coming up in a moment, we are going to talk about the Texas shooter who was caught by an elite Border Patrol team and another active shooter situation, this time in Atlanta. We'll give you details, at least what we have, coming up in just a moment.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, we still have the hottest ticket in town in the 11 a.m. hour. We will be calling out a name. It'll happen again, another name in the 4 p.m. hour. We've got Suns playoff tickets as they take on the Denver Nuggets. If you would like to have your name be added to that list and possibly hear your name called, just text the word TICKET to 411923. That's TICKET to 411923. So an elite team of from the Border Patrol um, called BORTAC, it is Border Patrol Tactical Team, uh, caught the suspect that shot all of those people in Cleveland, Texas. They also took some other people that were possibly aiding this person in escape into custody as well. We're learning more about them. By the way, as you heard Jeff update, there's an active shooter situation in Atlanta. The suspect, there's pictures of the suspect that have been released. He is considered to be armed and dangerous. As of right now, we haven't heard of an arrest. At least one person dead, three others hospitalized. More details as they come in. Um, But the other thing that I have in this pile to go along with it is um, over half of murders in America go unsolved. There's there are things there's cause and effect to everything. And there are predictors, people that are very good at investing your money and investing their money. The very, very wealthy on Wall Street, they see what's coming long before you and I do. When you say to yourself or someone that advises you or a friend of yours says, hey, have you looked into this little this new company called Apple, what it might be worth someday? By the time you hear of it, the people that made billions on it heard of it long before you did. That's what they do. The predictors are there for people. Um, and so there are, there's a cause and effect. I, I talked years ago about the short staffing of the Phoenix Police Department after the, after the crash of 08, 09. And what we did not do quick enough. And so we are paying a price in Phoenix with a reduced force. But things like this are happening, whether it's to fund the police or whatever's happened around the country. And this is what happens. Let me explain what ends up happening. Um, the command staff, the starting with the police chief and the command staff, when they sit down and they try to figure out how they are going to do the best they can with what they have, realizing that if a police agency's number one um, <clears throat> responsibility is patrol, that when you dial 911 in a timely fashion, you have a police officer that shows up to aid you in your time of need. They know that that's number one. Patrol is number one. But what they've had to do in the past in order to fulfill their requirements of patrol is pull officers out of other details, investigative uh, units and otherwise, whether it's white collar crime or it's blue collar crime or whatever violent crimes, they have had to pull officers off of those details. So when you call the cops, something happens. Um, uh, Someone breaks into your car. Someone is breaking into cars all over your neighborhood. <clears throat> so you call in, you, they come out, um, or they dust it for fingerprints, let's say. It's a, enough of a theft where they, your home gets broken into. But there's no one there to arrest. The officer on the scene takes a report. They do the best they can in the investigation. They turn that report over to the detectives in that bureau, and those detectives pick up that case, and it's their job to investigate. Go and look at pawn shops for your property. Look for the fingerprints of the person who might have been in your home, whatever it is. When you don't have enough detectives for all of the caseloads that they have, there are a lot of cases that will go unsolved because they don't have – they can't juggle that many cases. Well, violent crimes are going up, and so are the number of people getting away with violent crimes. I mention all of these things because I will ask you, like I always ask when I talk about this, what kind of city do you want? 
I guarantee you, if the electorate in Phoenix actually did this, if the electorate in Phoenix actually said, we have got a priority list. Here's our priority list, and it starts with public safety. We want the commitment of budget from all of you that we will fully staff the fire department. We will fully staff the police department. We will build enough firehouses. We will buy enough police cars. We will equip those people, those officers, those public safety officers with all of the equipment that they need to do their jobs effectively. And that's going to be the number one issue of the city's budget. And then we have a priority list that goes from there. If we actually held them accountable for that, they do it. If they knew that in five years, we're going to give you five years, whoever we elect. If in two years after an election happens, we look and we see there's no movement. There is no increase in the number of fire stations that are being planned to be built. You're not buying new fire trucks. You're not hiring new firefighters. You're not you're not doing the right things with the cops. If you're going to continue down that road, we will elect someone else. And I just wish we would pay more attention to this. Public safety should be number one. They all say it is until it comes time to fully fund it. Coming up in the 11 o'clock hour, evictions increased about 8% between March and April. Are we seeing an increase of people losing their homes? What does this mean for Arizona's economy? We're also going to give you a chance to get registered for those tickets. It's all coming up in the next hour. Stick around.